You're listening to Market Scale Pro AV. I'm your host, Sean Heath, and today I have the pleasure of speaking to Stephanie Gutnick. She's the Vice President of Business Development at Broadside. Stephanie, how are you today? I have a big smile on my face. Thank you. Very excited for our chat. I am very glad to hear that, and I appreciate the optimism. That's very kind. <laughs> so let's, uh, let's take one traditional interview question and just get it out of the way. Give me, if you would please, the story of your journey, kind of how you wound up at Broadside. Where to begin? <laughs> um, let's start with uh, my first job out of school then, out of my undergraduate degree, uh, which was with News Corp. And I was in ad sales and I was there for about two years and it was a wonderful learning experience. Um, but in my role, I was constantly drawn to working with the advertising agencies and loved the way that they put together their plans for media buys, as well as the creative component. So I thought, you know, I'm going to try this side of things, which is what landed me a job at Broadsign as a marketing copywriter. And um, really, I just found it online. There wasn't anything special that happened about these two pieces coming together. Um, but what was special is the timing in which I arrived at the company. So Broadsign is an ad server or content management system in the digital out of home media space. So the digital billboards that you'll see next to freeways or screens and shopping malls, even in cinema. Uh, we power all of those uh, worldwide. So I started as a marketing um, copywriter. There were about 20 odd people employed at the company at the time. And as we've grown, I've had the wonderful ability to you know, become a manager, uh, then to run the global marketing department. And at the same time, put on another hat, that of business development, to develop programs for us to engage with strategic partners in the ecosystem. So we do the software, but we definitely need to be able to offer turnkey solutions to media owners such as having partnerships with content creators or hardware manufacturers for the screens and the media players. And so I took that on. That then brought me to exploring further what business development would really entail with Broadside. And uh, a year ago, I moved to New York. I gave away the, the marketing aspect of my role to focus solely on biz dev, as well as partnerships with the demand side of the media space. So what happened is we launched another new product, a supply side platform that would allow us to enter the programmatic mediascape. So now here in New York, uh, south of the border, because I was in Montreal beforehand at our headquarters, I'm also responsible for relationships with the demand side, be it demand side platforms, agencies, and or brands. Okay, that's an awful lot of information that you just <laughs> flooded my brain with. Let me let me try and, and sort of break that down just a little bit into pieces that I can understand. So as you're talking about the the signs that billboards that people see on the side of the road, so external um ad placement is the simplest way I can think to put that. But then you mentioned New York, and obviously there is one giant ad placement area in New York. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Would Times Square fall into the sort of arena of 
of clients that you work with? Oh, absolutely. We power screens in Times Square and are very proud to do so. Uh, one screen in particular that um, we power is uh, owned by a company called Branded Cities, and it's situated on the Las Vegas Strip. And it is bigger than the size of a football field. It has 8K resolution, meaning that it's just a beautiful imagery, and it's even curved. Uh, you might have seen this across from the Aria on top of the bubblegum there. And um, it's just spectacular. So to your, your question, it's a good one. The screens can be as small as those that we see in elevators of office buildings, and they can be as large as, as you mentioned, those in Times Square and the Las Vegas Strip. So as you're, as you, you mentioned, you're working uh, on sort of the advances that are happening in the programmatic side of this mm -hmm. industry, but you also have to focus quite a bit on the collection and interpretation of data mm -hmm. and augmented reality is probably playing into, that's probably a field that you're really starting paying attention to. And you mentioned the, the signs that we see. Well, most people, when they think about digital signage in an advertising capacity, they think of those large permanent placements. But with the rapid growth of personal devices, that's a whole new world of screens for you to kind of focus on. I would imagine mobile's getting quite a bit of attention lately as well. Absolutely. So you just um, nailed a couple of the big things that we're focusing on all in that uh, comment, too. Um, there's a quote from Almost Famous, uh, it's all happening. And that's really what I would use to describe the digital out-of-home environment at this time, uh, because a lot of pieces are coming together uh, that really enhance the viewer experience um, and makes it easier for advertisers to really um, in a sincere way, engage with them. So to your first point about, um, about programmatic. So it's a word that kind of means everything and nothing, depending on who you talk to. And really to us, it means that uh, we've automated the buying and selling workflows in the digital out of home space um, so that computers can make decisions based on the data that they're provided. And this is to help with traditional direct sales where an agency will call up a publisher or, you know, the owners of these screens and say, hey, I have this brand. I need to buy these number of screens to reach this kind of audience. And what's the price for these dates? So that's still happening. It's wonderful. Um, but now we have a workflow in place that allows, uh, similar to buying an ad on Facebook, agencies can go in and access digital out-of-home inventory in this fashion. So we've made it easier for digital out-of-home screens to be part of overall media buys. And that certainly includes, as you mentioned, mobile. Uh, because advertising spend on the mobile channel has grown year over year in the past few years. Um, many of us have at least one phone. I, I have many cohorts in the space who have two. Um, and we are looking to our phones as you know, means of accessing everything from the news to taking photos to how we get from point A to point B. So as we make advertising become a more helpful part of somebody's daily journey. Um, you know, 
the mobile phone becomes crucial uh, when interacting with these public-facing digital out-of-home screens because it takes a message from one of the larger screens and the viewer, if they're interested, can then follow up in a way that becomes personal in a one-to-one -one fashion on their phone. Um, and I can give you an example of that. Uh, if we have a display that they are passing, um, you know, maybe they're waiting for the bus and there's a bus shelter that has an ad on it that you know, is interesting. It has a compelling call to action, maybe a coupon or, or what have you. Um, there can be interaction through the phone, through a text message or a QR code, NFC, you name it, so that the viewer and the consumer ultimately can then take this and redeem it at a later time when it makes sense. Maybe after they get off the bus, there is a McDonald's, if that was the advertiser, right out front of their office, and they go and redeem that coupon. Let me ask a and add a copywriting sort of related question, because this has just occurred to me. You have amazing flexibility in being able to tailor an advertisement. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious as to the thought process when you're thinking about the person seeing the advertisement based on the screen they're going to see it on. For example, this uh, this current generation that is coming up, the so-called Generation Z, not so-called, it's Gen Z. They're digital natives. They've grown up with a tablet or a smartphone in their hand. But all of the rest of us older generation have smartphones too. Right. How do you how do you sort of tailor a message that would be more relevant to, say, a 17 year old who might be getting ready to, you know, buy their first car or go to college versus someone who is, let's say, a businessman in their 30s who's coming out of a building on Wall Street. Mm -hmm. But the company has a product that could appeal to both of them, but you have to tailor the approach. Yeah, definitely. So that is a. It's a great question because it marries the, the concept of dynamic content, so content that changes depending on various variables, with the whole location versus audience cell. So traditionally, the digital out-of-home or the out-of-home space um, has been a location buy, meaning I know my audience drives down this freeway, so I want to buy a billboard on that freeway or I know that I want to reach this businessman, so I'm going to buy spots on the screen in the elevator of his office building. Um, but when we look at an audience buy, that's when we can start incorporating data to really verify, are we sure that our target market is driving down that freeway? And are we sure that this particular business person is going to be receptive to ads in the office? And that's when some different types of broad science ecosystem partners come into play. Um, one of which uh, is when we have cameras that collect totally autonomous data that are situated in or around the screens. And what that allows us to do is in real time, the cameras can detect the compilation of the audience. Um, so do we have more males versus females or based on age ranges, do we have more teenage looking viewers versus those who are of working age? And we can tailor 
the content to speak to them. And what this would do is if we had an advertiser um, who has a few different products, um, let's just go with FigGap. We could then alter the content based on the audience viewing the screen at that moment in time. So if we find that there are more younger uh, children looking at the screen, we can immediately change an ad to a pre-created piece of content that is for Gap Kids. But if we find then that it's more women in the 20 to 40 range, we could then change it to perhaps uh, their latest line of denim. Okay, so we we talk about there is an ability to sort of tailor the messages, but I'll, I'm interested in sort of the behind the scenes process mm -hmm. or maybe some some tools that Broadsign has sort of invented and and deployed to help the advertisers know how to manage all that data or how to optimize you know, their, I guess their ad buy, uh, and I'm assuming obviously that's something that you guys focus extensively on. For sure. Especially given that digital out of home and out of home in general only commands a single digit percentage of global ad spend annually. Uh, we really are that, you know, we have to help in any way we can to make each campaign successful, whatever success means to the brand involved, so that we can see this percentage grow. And so features built into our platform certainly help with that. One can be um, APIs use. So if we have a brand that comes in and depending on their goals and their products, we can determine that it would be effective to have content that switches depending on the weather in the local area of that specific screen. We just link up that screen uh, through our platform to the local weather station online. And let's say that one hour of the day in the morning, it might be raining. So the particular brand in mind might have a warm beverage that they're advertising. But if a few hours later the sun comes out and it's really hot, we can switch that depending on that local weather feed automatically to an iced coffee. Okay, that's brilliant. <laughs> it makes sense. Once again, it's... um. It's all about making advertisements feel very welcomed and actually helpful to viewers instead of what's happened in some of the other types of media channels where ad blockers have been developed because they were just such a nuisance to the user experience. Yeah, uh, I've, I've found that I would be much more inclined to actively not purchase from a certain company if they've shown me the same advertisement 73 times in, you know, in a five minute span. For sure. And we have frequency capping to help out with that. What's interesting about digital out of home advertising is that depending on where the display is located, there will be different dwell times. Dwell times being just the amount of time that a typical viewer is in front of a screen or can view the screen. So if it's, uh, once again, a digital billboard on the side of a freeway, that dwell time is going to be you know, a matter of seconds. And the creative is going to have to be designed in a matter that can get the point across in that amount of time. 
So, you know, either a very clear picture or just a few words. Um, but in point of care in doctor's offices, you know, Broadsign powers over 30,000 displays and waiting rooms here in the U.S. alone. Uh, the dwell time will be longer. And because of that, advertisers definitely have more time to get their point across. However, as you mentioned, we don't want that to be happening X many times in, say, a 30-minute period. So we can certainly frequency cap to make sure that the point is there, um, but in a way that's respectful of those who are viewing the screen. And that's an interesting point that you bring up. I've always felt that the most effective advertisement is one that doesn't seem like an advertisement, one that just seems like a natural part of the environment. Um, as you mentioned, the location aware, the weather aware, the uh, dwell time, all of those factors that play in. I've always thought that the best screen to give information to me, for example, is one that I, A, I didn't expect to be there, but B, it's very holistic. It's very sort of, this is just a, here's a thing. Oh, look, here's an interesting thing that you might be interested in. I've always found that casual approach to be super effective. I completely agree. And you know, one place that I, I love seeing screens is actually in the baggage claim area of, of airports or, you know, in the path of me from landing as either a visitor for business or for pleasure um, that might just suggest activities or restaurants um, that I wouldn't have thought of otherwise. And so that's as a frequent traveler, um, I, I do really enjoy this and I'm happy to be part of that. And speaking of dynamic content, what we're actually doing in airports such as Heathrow uh, through one of the media owners that works with our platform is tailoring the content to be in the language of the flight um, that has typically arrived. So if we know that the origination of a flight was, um, let's say, in, in Spain, and it's arriving at Heathrow in London, why not make that content in Spanish? Having lived in Barcelona for three years, I support that idea <laughs> very much. Uh, let me ask this question, since you have... Uh, gained quite a few frequent flyer miles. I'm mm -hmm. going to give you an unlimited budget in this hypothetical situation. And taking into account, for example, that Piccadilly Square just rolled out a completely revamped yes. project. Mm -hmm. And it is absolutely mind-blowing how beautiful that was. If you were given one location, maybe a, a square or a stadium or a building, which would you love to have an opportunity to just completely upgrade and renew? You get one city or one, one square, one building. What would you love if you had the freedom to just redo something? What would you pick? So, you know, that is such a fantastic question. Um, and this is going to sound very diplomatic, but I do mean it is what I saw happening, um, you know, a couple of years ago is that markets that were recently developing and adding digital signage, such as those in uh, the Middle East, they had the opportunity to learn from earlier adopters in the U S and in Europe. And, um, 
screen bezels or the what's visible around the sides of the displays um, have become much thinner and they just had the ability to incorporate digital signage right from the get-go, from the blueprints, so that everything just flowed and made sense to the viewers and was aesthetically pleasing. And then, you know, like anything, you might look back to some of the markets that had older screens um, in areas that might not make as much sense because they were an afterthought. And you go, well, I'd like to, you know, redo that because it definitely doesn't look as good. But uh, there's been a lot of investment in up dating these networks of screens. And because of that, I really wouldn't be able to point at a specific location and say that needs a complete redo, because I think that those in the digital signage space, once again, are working very hard to increase the percentage of ad spend and really interact with viewers at um, a sensitive and engaging level. So I think we're good. I think some of those older deployments are being updated appropriately. Well, I really uh, do appreciate you taking the time for me today, Stephanie. And I am planning a trip to Las Vegas, even as we speak, so I can go out and see that installation because I love seeing cool AV. I really do. Today, I've had the pleasure of speaking with Stephanie Gutnick. She is, of course, the Vice President of Business Development at Broadsign. Stephanie, thanks so much for taking the time. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of our podcast. If you'd like to find out more or listen to previous episodes, go to marketscale.com slash industries. And if you have a chance, subscribe to the MarketScale publications for the latest articles, videos, and podcasts from your favorite industries.